There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Summer in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. They're out there, man. I've seen them. I've been out there in Aurora, Texas. They got them little graves and stuff. Yeah, I've been out there, and I don't know, I'm planning a trip. I'm planning a trip. Uh, we're going out to, like, Arizona or something and figure something out. Or not Arizona, what was it? Yeah, it was Arizona, right? Air, that Air Force One where they found all that stuff. I got pictures of Roar. I've seen grave sites. They're out there, man. And I, I'm flying in the plane. I'm always hallucinating, but who really knows what I'm looking at? You know what I'm saying? Who knows, dude? They could be made of water. I don't even know. Water, man. You heard the man. Water. They could be made of anything extraterrestrial. That, that Extraterrestrial. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Rob, welcome back to another edition of UFO Happy Hour. How are you, my man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. How are you, dude? I am good. It's one in the afternoon here, and I have got a nice Templeton ride sitting next to me here with one ice cube. I'm going classy today, man. So what'd you bring to the uh, the bar stool today? Well, we're gonna we're gonna reprise this again. And uh We've got a we've got a nice 16 ounce aluminum can of Labatt Blue because it, you just can't go wrong with this Canadian Pilsner. I love it, and uh, you know it's it's not going to fill me up, so it's the best. It is the best. It's a miracle drug. I can't wait, man, to get back on the East Coast and have my Canadian beers again. I miss it so so much. <laughs> Uh, I can understand, man. I can understand because it's just whew, it, it takes the edge off the end of the day, and you know it, it, it doesn't it doesn't weigh you down. So yep, I, I couldn't agree more. We'll see if I even make it through this interview with bourbon. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, one in the afternoon is we're recording this on the west coast. But uh, I, you know, I need all the drinks I can get right now, man. I'm in the process of packing and moving back. So if it's a little echoey, I apologize to the listeners and to you. My sound quality might not be as good as it usually is, but we will, we will barrel through this. Oh yeah, man, we're gonna we're gonna do it. I I wanted you to come to the table with your top three UFO cases today, and knowing you, of course, you did not fail me. You picked some amazing <laughs> cases that we're gonna discuss in a little bit. But there's two stories I wanted to bring up. One most recently that I believe I found through you and several other researchers. Um, and that was the story that recently broke from Tyler Rogaway over at the War Zone, which is a sector of the more widely known online news site, The Drive. And it involved a bizarre chase through a high security Nevada nuclear test site that ended in someone being shot dead. This is crazy, man. Yeah, this uh, this story broke on uh, on Tuesday, and like, I, I somebody posted it on Twitter. I was like, "What? Somebody? Yeah. 
Somebody was killed. Uh, so um, basically, uh, yeah, on uh, Monday at 5.18 p.m., uh, there was a guy in a, in a car. He drove through a security checkpoint um, at uh, where, what they call Area 23, which is uh, designated as Mercury. Mm-hmm. And a car chase ensued with not only private security, but the Nye County Sheriff's deputies. And it went for eight miles. The guy eventually pulled over, got out of his vehicle, and he was holding some kind of what they called a, a metallic cylindrical object. What and the hell is that? What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Could they and be any more enigmatic? No, no, definitely not. And... So this guy, he's not uh, listening to the commands of the security personnel and the sheriff's deputies, and uh, he basically was going to go confront them, and they opened fire. Shot and killed him right, right on the spot there. So yeah, we have uh, we have a lot of questions, and they're not getting answered. And I know it's early on; this this story is still developing, but developing. But he. Um, there's no motive of why he was there, what he was doing, his level of sobriety, which I thought was funny, Tyler Rogueway brings up. But it's very rare for these things to happen at this nuclear test site. I mean, we're all familiar with Area 51 and the signs saying, we can shoot you on premises if you trespass. But, you know, these other areas, this vast area um, of Nevada, the test site, we have no idea what else is going on out there. Apparently, there could be, like, ordinance out there or like things that could explode so um who knows why this guy was going out there what his plans truly were yeah and i mean like this is now uh, it's been kicked to the fbi so it's probably going to be a long time coming before we really get any information if we do get any information uh because we don't know you know what kind of uh national security risk this guy was and yeah, we really don't know what the heck he was doing. I mean, he's pretty brash to just, you know, draw, plow past security detail and just... Yeah. The problem with this, too, Rob, is, like, because, you know, they shot him dead, there's very little to work backwards on to find out why he did this. I mean, yeah. it probably lays in whatever that object was he had with him. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't either, man. And it's like it—it's it, kind of terrifying, you yeah. know, because um, you just—it's—it's it's that unknown of uh, you, nobody's ever really done this before, or if they have, no, we've never heard of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's—it's uh, it's just frightening to think about. It's frightening. It's fascinating, and of course, all of us UFO people find it intriguing because it is near Area Fifty One. But at the end of the day, we got to remember someone was shot and killed. I mean, this guy's gone, so it's tragic beyond anything else. And, you know, that comes up with another case that you and I had been discussing, similar to to the Nevada testing sites. We have Dugway Proving Ground as well in uh, 2011. This kind of reminded me of what was going on here, a top-secret base where, you know, a guy wasn't pronounced dead um, just yet, he was pronounced missing, and that was uh, Joseph Bushling, a soldier. He was assigned at uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, but then he was stationed at uh, Dugway. And for those who don't know, Dugway is considered by many to be Area 52, where a lot of top-secret stuff is going on, UFOs have been reported. So, um, yeah, this was back in 2011. Joseph borrowed a friend's car, and... They think he went out there to sightsee, you know, the desert, and he ended up calling a friend and left a message saying that he'd run out of gas. He was going to try to walk back to Dugway Proving Ground, and he said he was very cold, he lost his flip-flops, and he was using his shirt as footwear, and it was raining. So, I mean, everything that could go wrong seemed to be going wrong for him at this point. He'd never arrived back at Dugway, and he'd never been heard from again. No, and as far as we can tell, there's never been a body found. And, I mean, Dugway is vast in size. Like, you could probably go missing and nobody would find you. Uh, They also made mention of how there's, like, unexploded ordnance out there. So there's a, you know, chance that he could have stepped on something and, and, you know, uh, met his end that way. But, yeah, it was just... It was kind of weird because he was heading towards uh, – it's 
I, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, uh, Kalau Gate, which mm-hmm. uh, is is one of Dugway's gates, and they he never made it there. And they ended up going out in, uh, in a pattern from where they found the car up into this gate, and they never found his body at all. The only thing that they found of his was in, uh, an Arkansas Razorbacks hat. That was it. Yep. So you got to wonder what happened to this guy. Like, where did he go? And, and uh, the last update I ever saw on this case, uh, his parents had, had set up a Twitter account. And there was a dead link to a, uh, I believe it was a blog post about some bones found out near Dugway. So there's a chance they may have found him, but we just don't know. As far as I'm, I, I can tell, he's still, he's officially declared dead, but uh, he's also uh, on many sites listed as missing. Right. I mean, the authorities ruled out suicide and foul play. And like you said, they did pronounce him dead. There was a death certificate issued in 2014, um, you know, so his family could receive military benefits and life insurance. So that's kind of understandable at this point. The fact that, you know, we found nothing and he hasn't shown up anywhere. But his friend who he called likes to think that maybe he's still out there somewhere or made it to somewhere safer and is living the good life. But uh, again, just another tragic, tragic thing to happen at these mysterious top secret installations. I mean, Dugway itself has so much lore. Look at the um, the sheep incident that happened back in the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the uh, Skull Valley incident in uh, March of 68 where, you know, uh, all these sheeps, uh, all these sheep on farmer's land just died. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of sheep and uh, it was linked to uh, a chemical uh, at Dugway Proving Ground because Dugway is essentially... Uh, where we test chemical weapons. So yeah, it was it was linked back to that, and um, uh, yeah, I, I I feel bad for the Bushling family here because they seem to think that something happened to him and that they know what happened to him, and uh, it, you know your heart just goes out to him because it's just and and I think what people need to understand is this guy was a medic. He yeah. was. He was going uh, later that week down to Texas to actually get uh, his RN uh, to become an RN, a registered nurse. So you, you got to wonder. It's like he was he was definitely panicked. Yeah, right. So and he was panicked. So that kind of it kind of rules out that, you know, he went out there to, you know, commit suicide or anything like that. I mean, he was on the right track to some pretty good stuff in his life so yeah again just a tragedy all around but um you know besides that uh you mentioned the sheep incident in the 60s we also in 2011 i found an article where the facility at dugway was put under an extreme lockdown when the loss of a toxic nerve agent again Mm -hmm. um was lost and recovered they had to shut down the entire like area so they got to, I, I don't know what's going out there in Dugway, but they got to be more careful, man. These things are like killing 6,000 sheep in the 60s was like the total number. And now a nerve agent like goes missing. And on the same day, like numerous UFO reports were cited in the area. So, oh man, this Dugway probing ground, dude. I, I, I look forward to hearing more about what's going on out there. They probably didn't help themselves when Rob Lowe and his kids decided to go there for on their <laughs> TV show. <laughs> exactly. Again, once these bases are acknowledged, you know everything is getting moved somewhere else. So, uh, But our good friend Dave Rosenfeld, he's a UFO investigator. He, he goes out to Dugway all the time, constantly, and monitors all the weird aerial phenomena going on out there. So... I, I wish him all the luck out there. I hope he's being careful and... Uh, we got to keep our eye on Dugway. I guess that's the only way to sort of put it. Yeah, I mean, he knows that that uh, base by like the back of his hand. So, I mean, yeah. he's he's the guy for it. And yeah, it's just now it's in kind of in the spotlight because people are being drawn more and more to it. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what 
happens at Dugway going forward. Mm-hmm. And I did, I will admit, I did a deep dive on Reddit, which I don't suggest to anyone out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did do a deep dive and um, just in to see if anyone was talking about Dugway. And I found like so many military people who were saying, yeah, like Dugway, I, I wanted to be stationed there and um, it was always denied. And whenever you'd ask about going to Dugway, like it was immediately stamped down. Like, no, no, no one's getting put out at Dugway. Like no information out there on Dugway. Like just pick somewhere else. So I found that pretty interesting that even a lot of military people on Reddit were saying, we have no idea what's going on out there. And uh, we want to know too. So yeah, yeah, I guess we'll leave it at that when it comes to to that. But the real reason, Rob, I wanted to have you here today, not just to have a beer and a bourbon, <laughs> but I want to hear about your top three UFO cases. I thought this would be a really good way to uh, to wet our whistle and get back to UFOs here on Somewhere in the Sky. So I'm going to let you take the, the steering wheel with this, man. Which one would you like to start with? Are we going to go, you know, ascending order, descending order, whatever you want, my man? I think we'll go from uh, uh, we'll go we'll go chronologically backward. We'll start with uh, 1977 and the Lee Parish abduction. This is an abduction case that not a lot of people know about. It's briefly mentioned in an APRO news bulletin, and like occasionally you can find uh, bits and pieces of information about it on there. Yeah. on various websites but and you can find some pretty cool looking artwork too but essentially this uh, 19 year old guy Lee Parrish he's he works on his family farm he was visiting a friend a female friend and left her house at one o'clock at night and he was driving home and he sees a light coming from he he, he kind of experiences missing time and and he just sees the light uh, fly away, and what he notices is that he's missing 35 minutes. Now, this is a, a five-minute drive for him from uh, this woman's house to his home. So uh, he was kind of freaked out about it, and he went home. His his mother was asking him, "Where you know, where have you been? What do you what do you why are you home so late?" And yeah, he proceeds to kind of panic a little bit, but the next day, uh, and, and what's great about this case is like it, there's no time lapse here. The next day, he has he goes in for a hypnosis session, and what he finds is that a an, an object stopped his truck in the in the middle of the road, and from his memory, he he's in the truck, and then all of a sudden, he's on board this craft. And he's standing in a room, and, and in front of him, to his left, is this really tall he, – he guessed that it was about 10 feet tall. It looked like a, a wall with a bump on it. Mm-hmm. And in front of him was uh, – I, I would say the best way to describe it would be a large, like an oversized adding machine almost. And it was <laughs> the color white, and on his right was this – rectangular object that uh he he said resembled like a like a coke machine like an old school coke machine right right and all of a sudden the this black wall comes forward and it has an arm on it and it just hits lee in the uh on his left arm and he starts freaking out he um <laughs> and and to quote him uh, during the hypnosis he s- sessions, he says, oh, no, not the black one. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> that, that is not a good quote out of context. No, no, it isn't. <laughs> um, but he, he, that one seems to unsettle him. But then the uh, red Coke machine has an arm of its own and it gets him in, I believe, like the shoulder or the neck and it kind of calms him down and what he believes and what he feels is that the white machine in front of him is kind of this um it, it's the leader almost okay. and it's observing what's happening and and the other two are kind of this these uh, subservient uh <laughs> robots and what happens is the um the red boxy robot thing basically backs off it ends up going behind the white machine 
and eventually the uh, the black wall thing basically takes its arm away and the white machine goes behind the black wall. And after that, he finds himself transported back into his truck. And th- that's the end of it. It lasted 35 minutes. But it's just so... I, I, I don't even know how to categorize yeah, this because man. nobody... It, it's not like these are robots they're machines mm-hmm. and and there was no other beings that he interacted with and you're just at a loss like what 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 happened here and and, and he's just, this 19 year old kid that has nothing to gain by telling his story and it's a story that still is not you know widely known even in uh most of uh ufo culture unless you're you know into perusing old apro bulletins exactly yeah i mean i before you talked about this on your own show i i hadn't really heard about it and i it's hard to find anything on the internet about it which is you know your last ditch effort when you're trying to look for ufo information is go to the internet but um with this one now how did we get his story? Did he 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 remember this, right? He recalled it or was he put under uh basically he contacted Apro. Okay. And there was a local uh psychologist that I believe was also uh hip to, you know, hypnosis and was able to do it like the very next day. Hip so, to hypnosis, love it. Oh yeah, hip <laughs> to hypnosis. <laughs> Copywriting that, my man, along with two, oh, yeah. uh, Secret Space Program, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, suck it, Corey Good. What can I say? <laughs> oh, I know the subtitle of this episode now. <laughs> Either Hip to Hypnosis or Suck It, Corey Good. Uh, this is one of those episodes. That's okay. We're, we're drinking, man. Yep, we're drinking. Yep. Uh, which is fine, but it, it it's such a baffling case and like look at all the weirdness that is kentucky and i don't i don't think people realize just how weird kentucky is i mean i mean we have uh, we've got the hellier documentary series that is just phenomenal if I, i i urge everybody if you have not seen it stop what you're doing and go watch it it it's enthralling it brings a new view to how we look at not just it, – it, it's not a documentary about goblins. It's about more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean that that itself relates in a way to the Kelly Hopkinsville goblin encounter from 1955. And, 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 and it goes through the spiraling thing where for Lee Parrish, it wasn't the only uh, kind of uh, – there was a more well-known abduction account that took place – a year before involving three women near Stanford, hmm. uh, Kentucky. And uh, they were celebrating, I believe, Mona Stafford. It was her name, her, her birthday. And all three of them get abducted. Uh, and uh, they they end up going through hypnosis. And they don't even get uh, all the answers that they need. All they can really say is that they were tortured by these shadowy, figures that uh, they couldn't really make out Mm -hmm. but in uh probably the national Enquirer's like only like (laughs) move of sympathy (laughs) Mm -hmm. like that i could ever point to them they actually uh they were in desperate need of of uh psychiatric help so basically what they did is they uh they ended up paying for it for the exclusive right to their story so uh that's that's about the only <laughs> the only case of the national Enquirer having a heart that i can think of yeah really yeah i know they weren't too uh too good to us back in the day when it came to ufo stories let's just put it that way yeah exactly or to people who claimed authentic and genuine experiences so yeah the uh the second case and this is one that Whenever I talk to anybody about this, this case is so it, 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 it's so weird that it, it's it's there's so many elements going on to it. So this is the uh, abduction case of a man named David Stevens. Oh and, yes, yeah. And uh, David Stevens, he had just gotten out of the Navy, like maybe a few weeks before. And um, he meets this guy named uh, Glenn Gray. They 
have the they they both work factory jobs. I think one works in a meat processing plant, and I forget what the other one uh, did. But they both worked night shifts, so they kind of just hit it off, and they moved into this trailer in Maine. And one night, uh, they they both had the same day off, and they were up late because they didn't want to really mess up their sleep schedules. So they were just hanging out, listening to music, and they heard a booming sound and it was like I, I, around one o'clock in the morning again it's we're in the witching hour damn it <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and they get drawn outside and uh, when they when they go outside they don't see anything but glenn gray uh turns to david stevens and he says hey let's go for a ride and he's like yeah sure no problem mm-hmm. well, that, that, that's fine so uh, they hop in the car and they're, and they're driving, driving for a little while, and eventually the car starts to move and drive on its own. He, David Stevens loses control of the vehicle, and it takes them down this uh, these series of back roads. And what happens is uh, they both see this object in a field. Or it looks like lights to them, so they figured, oh, there's people out there. They must be looking for something. And then these lights begin to rise up, and they come near the car. And they're both kind of freaking out. There's an incident of missing time, and it's it's almost like a like a cutscene and a fast forward here. And um, uh, the two like desperately at first try to start the car, and they can't do it. And eventually, they uh, they're able to start the vehicle. They they just book it and this ufo follows them mm. and it toys with them for uh, a, a number of miles for in and, and for a number of hours like they just went back and forth with this ufo and eventually at like 7:30 in the morning it finally flies away and they both go home and and they are just freaked out. Yeah. And almost immediately, they had poltergeist-like activity in their house. Whoa. There was, yeah, there was bangs. There was uh, cupboards opening and 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 stuff like that. And uh, eventually, they, I believe, they were they contacted the International UFO Bureau back when it was up and running, and eventually. They, they finally get into hypnosis sessions. And what you find is that when they first saw the UFO rise up out of that field, what had happened was, uh, and I forgot to mention it, but uh, when, they came, when they came out of that missing time uh, episode, they were on the other side of the road. They went from the right-hand side of the road to the left-hand side of the road. And what he finds is that he was taken uh, – David Stevens uh, was taken aboard this craft. He was – he interacted with these beings that he described as having mushroom-shaped heads. And ki- they're kind of a gray archetype in a, in a way. I mean they have these big bulbous heads, but like – they almost look like, uh, in a way, they remind me of a hammerhead shark. If a hammerhead shark had a like a really rounded head, yeah. and these eyes on the side that had they were white with uh, black pupils. And he sketched and these, right? I think I've seen sketches of that. He sketched it, and then uh, one of the investigators actually did a really a really great sketch of this thing. And like when you look at it, it's wearing this like almost flowing robe. It's um, it's got webbed hands, mm. which is very very weird. At one point, uh, there when David first arrives on the on the UFO, he's one of these beings. You know, comes into the room. They draw him into another where there are multiple other beings, and basically they want him to take his clothes off. Well, he doesn't want anything to do. With, he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. So he mm. ends up hitting one of them in the face. <laughs> Awesome, Travis Walton style. Right, and uh, they they back up, they give him some space, and then he comes forward, and then he just kind of complies with whatever they they want, and they conduct a medical examination on him, and I, I believe they even take blood at at a, at a certain point, mm-hmm. and they uh, they deposited him 
back in his car. And, and realistically, I don't understand why the UFO toyed with them for uh, another like three hours until it flew away. But it did. And one of the most fascinating features of this account is that uh, he worked with a uh, he was a family physician. But uh, he also did uh, hypnosis to help aid in women going through childbirth to try to ease pain and stuff like that. His name is Herbert Hopkins. And he went through about six or so hypnosis sessions. And they learned all this. But one of the most fascinating things was when Herbert would ask him about the feet. He wouldn't describe the feet. He would just ignore the question. <laughs> okay. And then and then the only thing that he ever said about their feet is that some were wearing shoes and some weren't. That was it. And it, and it's like one of those nagging details that uh kind of I kind of get obsessed with at times because more and more when you go over some abduction accounts and even close encounter of the third kind uh reports, they don't describe the feet for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah, you're which, right. Yeah, and, and and maybe it's just because I mean you know it's it's the feet that's the lowest point to a to a humanoid or a human being like it's it's probably the least interesting point to people but like they always describe everything else in like full detail but the feet it just never quality sleep is essential that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Seems to be. There was... Yeah, poltergeist activity in their home in uh, David Stevens' parents' home. There was poltergeist-like activity, knocks on doors, and it was experienced by uh, family members. Uh, the and, and this links to uh, uh, Herbert Hawkins is this uh, – he ex- had a men in black experience that may not in fact be true or there's a – a blog post um, that um, that says that it was a uh, completely and totally made up, but uh, you know that is what it is. But that that abduction account is just it's so, and I mean it it, it ruined Glenn Gray. He actually ended up fleeing to I think Kansas because yeah. his own family didn't believe him. Well, yeah. What do you do at that point when someone is so vocal about it? The other one doesn't really want to talk about it at all. I mean, Glenn never talked about this, from what I can gather afterwards. Nope. Really? No, he didn't. He and, his life. Uh, yeah, and he refused to be hypnotized, so we don't even really know what the full level of his experience was. So. Yep. Yep. I've dealt with that a lot with um, claimed abductees who I've asked them, like, "Do you want to go under regression, or is it something you've ever?" considered and a lot of them say no you know i have the the faint memories or snippets in my memory now i don't want to know any more of what happened to me or i don't want something to be you know implanted into my 
my subconscious that didn't actually happen. So the whole hypnosis thing, obviously, we have to take with a grain of salt. But when you get a story like this from Stephens, like, it's so, like you said, it's so out there and so weird. And I'm like, how could anyone make all this up? Yeah, he has nothing to gain from it. This is not a widely known abduction account. This is you if you peruse the pages of, you know, issues of Flying Saucer Review from the the mid to late 70s, you'll find these accounts. But that's where they remain. And you you will find certain little, you know, mentions of it here and there. There was a an article by uh, Micah Hanks, he mentioned it briefly. Richard Dolan mentions it in one of his uh, uh, UFOs in the National Security State books. But, mm-hmm. like, that's all it ever gets yeah. is just this brief mention. But um, it's also preserved in a great book uh, called UFO Dynamics by Bertold E. Schwartz, who was a psychiatrist who um, I believe was affiliated with APRO uh, okay. for a number of years. But, uh, uh, if you, it, I highly recommend UFO Dynamics. Get your hands on this book. It's hard to it's hard to come by for a decent price, but there are so many great cases. There's an interview with Betty Hill years later talking about uh, uh, UFO experiences that she had after uh, the one that uh, her and Barney had, and uh, there's other contactee claims, and uh, there's a like a a story from Woodstock. It's, it's really great. It's Mm. a really great collection. Interesting. So we might've had a, uh, alien invasion going on at Woodstock. You you never know, man. It it (laughs) kind of seems that way. Uh, there was an invasion of something happening. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, (laughs) my man. So, well, this case is just the encounter of David Stevens is, Amazing. It's so rich with detail. And uh, you heard it here on UFO Happy Hour. So go get that book (laughs) that Rob just brought up, please. I can't wait to get my hands on that if I can get my hands on it. All right. So what is our number one top UFO case for Rob Christofferson? For me, it's always going to be uh, the case of Lonnie Zamora and his... Uh, close encounter of the third kind. Perfect. I can't think yeah. of a better one to to do this. Yeah. Cheers to that. Yeah, absolutely. He, my history with this case goes back to unsolved mysteries. It's one of the very few UFO cases that I can think of that they ever did. They they covered Gulf Breeze. They covered the Hudson Valley sightings. They covered the the Roswell. the other one that. Re- Yep, they covered Roswell, which is how Roswell made it to the mainstream for a lot of uh, people. And it, they covered uh, one of the most terrifying <laughs> stories, the story of the Allagash abductions, which uh, are just terrifying. Uh, long story short on that one, folks, do not signal a UFO with a flashlight when you're in the middle of the woods. Just don't do it. <laughs> no matter what Stephen Greer tells you, do not vector in a UFO, guys. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but Lonnie Zamora is... The, the one case that I remember so vividly from Unsolved Mysteries, and I believe it's the first time that I ever heard the name J. Allen Hynek, to be honest. And oh, I was wow. – yeah, I was a little kid at the time. But uh, I have this faint memory of being in middle school, and we were doing this um, English project where we were basically taking apart the song – we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel. We were breaking it down into decade. We were researching and writing reports on like all of the events that he mentions in there. And the other part of the project was that we were supposed to add on to it and stuff like that. And, and, and put uh, events that we think should have made it into that song into it. And it, <laughs> it was kind of a really cool project, but uh, Lonnie Zamora is maybe one of the best UFO witnesses on on record. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe that. And, you know, I don't want to disparage him really at all, but, like, he's not a highly intelligent individual. He's not. But he's not somebody who's, who's going to make stuff up. Now, uh, the story starts uh, – this is 1964 – 
April 1964, and it's about, uh, it's close to six at night, and he's chasing a speeder south of Socorro, New Mexico, and uh, he suddenly hears this high-frequency roar, but he doesn't describe it as like, uh, kind of like a rocket or anything like that, Mm -hmm. which, uh, which is kind of weird. Um, but he he describes it as going from a high frequency to a low frequency. And uh, he believes that it's the uh, mayor's local – it's the dynamite shack that is going to explode because the mayor just happened to have one because you know, every town <laughs> like needs you a, do. Yeah. yeah, every town needs an old dynamite shack. Totally. So he uh, breaks off pursuit and he heads in the direction of this sound. And he uh, it takes him a little bit to get up this little hill. But when he does, he he can see what he thinks is a car that's overturned. And uh, you can see people outside. These people uh, apparently see him coming and they uh, disappear in back into this object. But once Lonnie Zamora gets close enough, what he realizes is that this is a an oval-shaped object that has, from his vantage point, what he can see is it, there's two landing platforms down. And he also describes hearing this sound, which is, it sounds like a door closing uh, in, in a way. And uh, this, this object that's sitting there, all of a sudden it, the, he, that uh, familiar roaring sound comes back. It goes from a low frequency to a high frequency. And, and all of a sudden he just sees this flame coming out of the bottom of it. And he can feel the heat. He takes cover behind his car. He ends up uh, hitting uh, his ankle on his bumper, but uh, he ultimately makes it uh, uh, further back behind the car. And when the sound stops, he turns around and he looks, and he can see this object hovering about 15 to 20 feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's at first it starts to slowly move away, and it barely makes it over the top of this dynamite shack and it just zips away from him. He's white as a ghost. He doesn't understand what he has seen and he radios in for backup. And, uh, eventually Sergeant Chavez, one of his, uh, friends from the police force eventually makes it out to him. He could see that Lonnie Zamora is shooken up. He's pale. He's sweating profusely, but he goes down to the landing site and he can see that there are bushes that uh, were on fire. There was some landing marks in the ground. Trace evidence, thank God. Yep, yep. trace evidence. And soon after, you, you've got Blue Book coming in to invest this ca- investigate this case. Uh, Heineck was on the ground within, uh, I believe, 48 hours. And he was with... <laughs> Classic uh, he was, Heineck. Oh yeah, and and the most amazing thing about that story is is that when they're when they're driving into Socorro, their car uh, gets a flat tire, and uh, Heineck's not waiting. He did, he uh, hitchhikes into town. <laughs> oh God, that's amazing! I I can't wait to see if uh, Project Blue Book, the television show, covers that. I really hope they do because it's so. it's it's too good a story not to. And uh, yeah. You know, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so Heineck gets out there. He does his investigation, and they radio around to because uh, I forget uh, what what base is around there. Oh, White Sands Missile Range is mm-hmm. just it's nearby. They they radio over there. It's nothing from them, and uh, you know Heineck. This is one of those. Cases that uh, is a high watermark for Heineck because of – he initially railed against the close encounter of the third kind cases. He was – he didn't like them. But uh, if you read the UFO experience, he talks about just because you don't like something doesn't mean that they aren't happening and that it doesn't deserve to be quantified. So – Heineck really, you know, he looks at Zamora and sees a guy who's really credible and a guy who 
ultimately after this experience happens and after he shakes off you know the fear and stuff is ultimately upset because he didn't reach his quota for tickets for the day (laughs) (laughs) a typical cop i love it but uh we we also have a correlated sighting of this object from i believe it's a family in a station wagon that end up uh calling a local radio station to report it but there's also the story of this guy named gary t wilcox and his story, it, it, ha- it takes place in, uh, I believe it's called Tioga City in New York. And uh, he's, a, he's a farmer, and one day he's, uh, on, on the same day of the Zamora sighting, hours before, he's looking to increase his farmland. And he, and he comes to this one area, and he can see this oval-shaped object that, is, that has landed. And there are these two humanoids in these white jumpsuits that are outside, they talk to him. But what he says is that it's not, they didn't talk to him from their mouth. It it felt like it was coming from their abdomen uh, of all places. And um, they tell him, they tell him that they're from Mars and that they need fertilizer. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Gary T. Wilcox, nice guy. He, he goes and, you know, he goes and gets that fertilizer. Um, while he's doing that, the ship takes off and leaves. Whoa. But he still, yeah. This, but he still comes back with the fertilizer. Okay. And the next day, when he goes out there, it's gone. Uh, yeah. So it's it's an interesting correlated uh, kind of correlated sighting uh, that um, is big for Jacques Vallée in his Contact trilogy uh, in one of the books, and I, he briefly mentions it in uh, passport to Magonia, but uh, it's interesting. Um, There's one issue that I kind of have with it. And um, when Zambora saw this uh, object, when it eventually went silent, he could see on the side of this object, there was a symbol on it. Yes. Yeah. I know this is a big contentious part of the case. Yeah. yeah. Please elaborate. So the way that he drew it and the way that he's drawn it, uh, repeatedly over and over again is what it looks like is it's in red. There's like a half circle underneath the half circle is an arrow that's pointing up and underneath that is a, uh, horizontal line. That is what he has drawn. Now we've been, uh, researching this case for about three months. Uh, I, I've got a really fantastic researcher. His name's Rory. He's been really diving into this case, going through the blue book files and just picking it apart detail by detail. And one of the things that we have arrived at is that what he has written down and uh, in the symbol that people associate that I've just described is not the actual symbol that he saw. It is a different symbol that basically looks like an inverted V and there are three horizontal lines going through it. Mm. And, and a lot of people describe that as a decoy symbol, but uh, we, we've actually, um, we've gone through the blue book reports. We've gone through the APRO bulletins. We've gone through testimony that basically the people that were invested, the, the people from the government, uh, Heineck excluded, that were investigating this case said, do not go public with this symbol because mm. it's it's kind of an investigative hallmark here. If somebody else saw it, we'll know. But at the same time, they basically suppressed the symbol. So, yeah, so the symbol that we come to associate with this encounter is wrong. It's It's not what we think it is. It's not – uh, that uh, arrow pointing up. It's not. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating, man. I mean, and these are the kinds of things that they hope will be so, you know, bury it so deep that no one will come to find this out. But you can never underestimate a UFO researcher. Right. And um, I'm not going to get too into detail with it because uh, we're eventually going to cover it on on my podcast but basically cool. we we have enough uh, we we have enough information where we believe we can speculate that this was a government object a government craft of some kind mm. and uh, 
and we'll be getting into it. It's uh, it, it, it's it's interesting, and I I honestly when we started to look at this case when Rory went into it, I didn't think we would find anything, and the details in in many cases are so different, yeah. and the narrative is so different that uh, we actually got a lot to bite on with it. Ah, oh, I can't wait, and I know you um. You were making your way through Ray Stanford's book too, right? Recently, the Socorro Saucer in a Pentagon Pantry. Yeah, Ray is an interesting character, and um, I, at first, that uh, yeah, I, I reached out to uh, your listeners on your Facebook group because I was trying to track down a decently priced copy of uh, yeah, rare, yeah. Socorro Saucer in a Pentagon Pantry. Yeah, it's a hard book to come by for a, a decent price. And then yeah, I still don't one, have it either. Yeah, one of your listeners actually gave me his email. At first they gave me the, an old email that didn't work, but uh, but they gave me this new email and I and I contacted him and he's and here's the thing, Ray Ray knows how much his book is worth. <laughs> he <laughs> so, is on top of it. Yeah, so um, I, I can officially say that this is the most ex- most amount of money I've ever paid for a UFO book, <laughs> which was about sixty dollars. But um, the cool thing is, is that one, it's autographed to me now, so you know that's that's amazing. Oh, but totally. second, yes, yeah, it, it comes with this bookmark that has a correction in it. <laughs> so, Whoa, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's really cool, but. Uh, yeah, Ray was uh, one of the uh, – he was an independent researcher on the ground with it. And uh, if you look at the book jacket, he actually had files taken from him by the government. So, you know, that's that's an interesting angle. Um, we also have uh, Kevin Randall's uh, book here too that uh, just came out, I believe, in 2017 uh, about the Socorro case and like his angle, which was a – uh, a different angle. He actually went through, uh, I believe, certain government uh, officials mm-hmm. for that book. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting to tackle it from all sides. But it's just such a fascinating case that I think people don't know as much as they think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be one of those kind of like uh... – you know, I hate comparing things to Roswell, but it's true. Like, the minute you think you have an answer, something flips it on its head and changes everything. And that's kind of what I've experienced in the past few months of my life is I thought I kind of knew what happened in Roswell. And now the further I'm digging in and the the more stories I'm hearing and literally being boots on the ground in Roswell talking to locals. My entire theory on Roswell has been thrown out the window. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating, man. And I'm glad to hear that there's still developing stories when it comes to Socorro, because it is. It's, it's one of those pivotal cases that we can turn to and be like, this is a credible witness. No one can ever, like, denounce that. And, uh, and it, it's amazing that you guys are finding new stuff, so... God, I can't wait to hear that. Absolutely, man. And um, I, I can't stress enough to the people that are looking into this. Details matter. And when details are represented, it can totally throw off a case. It, and it, it's done so repeatedly. Like, um, it, look at what, how it's been – how things have been portrayed in uh, Kelly Hopkinsville with the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. Mm-hmm. You know, they were labeled, uh, and they're still known in in many circles as the Kelly Little Green Men, even though they weren't green. They They were were wearing, they were wearing metallic, they were metallic, wearing metallic, you know, suits or something. Because, you know, every time that this family shot at them, they would kind of hear this metallic ping here and there. Mm -hmm. So the details matter. And And one of the most fascinating details of that case that gets passed up every single time is that when the first being approached the house its hands were up like it was surrendering mm. oh shit yeah <laughs> so it, it clearly didn't want this firefight that seemed to ensue no it didn't it, hmm. it, it definitely didn't seem like it wanted anything to do with that so again yeah details matter and uh, when details are misrepresented, it's just it throws off an entire case and it and it and it can change the narrative quickly. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you even have, like, you're off by a day on a UFO investigation, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is. It's, it, it, the devil is in the details, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, really absolutely, is. man. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so, we have your last one, which, again, is one of my favorites as well, Socorro being investigated by Mr. J. Allen Hynek. So, I'm going to bring it up to recent times. We have the Project Blue Book television series on the History Channel. Very divisive show right now in the UFO community. (laughs) So I'm going to get your thoughts, man. Um, You know, I think the last time we spoke, it was just being announced that the show was starting. But now we're four episodes in. And what do you think? What are your thoughts on Project Blue Book, the television series? It's been so great to see some of these cases come to life. But mm-hmm. uh, even even though like some of the details are are kind of altered here and there, but at the core of it are these real stories. Um it, it, when you're talking Flatwoods, okay, for instance, a, a lot of that stuff happened. Like the town, yeah, they were kind of on edge about things. They didn't go to like it, it didn't become this like Frankenstein trope. Pitchforks and torches, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the, the town was definitely, you know, uneasy about this. They didn't want that attention, but yeah. uh I, you know, it's it's kind of like for entertainment value, of course they're going to blow it out of proportion. Um the the Lubbock lights Lubbock lights case is uh, another fascinating one that I think they they did a really good job. Did it really mess with people's cars no it didn't it wasn't it it was another six years before uh uh cars being affected by ufos you know started to happen but you know what there's a case from uh, uh texas you know that that uh did happen so and and you know it's cool to see that it's it's cool to see the lubbock lights uh, you know, portrayed on a, on a show. It's cool to see the child's witted account portrayed on a show, even in this larger context of uh, uh, Operation Paperclip. Um, right. Yeah, and 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 like I was saying to you uh, earlier, it's like there is more truth to it than I think people realize. Now, uh, when people talk about uh, child's witted, uh, what they may not realize is that. Uh, in Europe from 1946 to 1948, uh, you know, it was kind of off and on. What they had sightings of were these things called ghost rockets. And um, for a long time, people thought this was the the, uh, Russians uh, in Germany launching these uh, V-1 or V-2 rockets. And you kind of have that in the United States with Operation Paperclip and there's Werner Braun, Von Braun, you know, the, the face of this entire thing. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see how, what they're playing up is at first what it seems like, well, we want to, you know, cover this up, not because there's nefarious stuff going on, but we, you know, we want to we want to keep the public calm. That's yeah. that's number one priority. And there's still kind of that. But now you're getting glimpses of, uh, you know, deep inside government stuff, which is which is fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun, you know, from an X-Files kind of like standpoint. But like uh, I'm enjoying the show so far. Aiden Gillen is knocking it out of the park. Uh, Michael Malarkey knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um even you know, uh, the the woman playing Mimi Heineck, I love yeah. that we're we're getting to see this other side of Heineck's life, you know, his personal life and how this job affected his relationship. I mean, um, I, I was listening to an interview recently with the actress playing Mimi, and she said, "Like, could you imagine how heartbreaking it is that you have to like go into your husband's office and." peer into his diaries about what's going on in his life because it's yeah. so top secret. It just I can't imagine having to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean and and, and I think it uh another thing that I, I don't think people are talking about as much as how well it's playing up this paranoia angle in the fifties, yes. you know, with the Cold War and everything. It's doing a really great job with that. And at times, I feel like the show is a little busy with, with what it's doing. It, it, at times, it seems like it has a little too much going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe with like the, the, the Russian spy angle, yeah, it's kind of 
it, it just seems kind of like a little shoehorn, shoehorned in there. But, um, you know, it's, it's it'll be interesting to see how that develops. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what else is covered, where where it's going, because I don't think it's totally you, – you, you don't totally, you know, notice at this point where is it going. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's that's the nice thing about it. But uh I could see where like the the Heineck aficionados get get upset, but uh totally. I think what people need to understand too is that two of Heineck's children consulted on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have the blessing of the family, so that's enough for me. But I agree with you, and I agree with the aficionados like, no, this is not historically accurate by any no. Uh, stretch of the imagination, and we know History Channel isn't known for always being historically accurate. I, I mean, we have, uh, if if we want to run through briefly, like, hi- the History Channel's uh, kind of relationship with these uh, strange, th- these programs about weird topics. Yeah. It starts with um, History's Mysteries, which was a great show. It was kind of like... The History Channel's take almost on In Search Of. It was really fun, you know, a really fun show. And then you get into Monster Quest, which is, you know, cryptids <laughs> all the time. And uh, then you get into the Nostradamus effect, which was just straight up garbage. I'm sorry, but it, it, there's no other way to to go around it. Uh, they played up the paranoia of 2012, you know, being the end of the world. Yeah. So be it. Um, and then uh, the uh, the blockbuster Ancient Aliens, of course. Which, ah, the um, motherload. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, and we can't forget we can't forget about UFO hunters even before that. Uh, That's because... right. That was on history. I forgot about yep. that. Yep. Um, Still I, one I of my that... favorite shows. I'm not going to lie. It is. And you know what's really cool is that at one point they actually talked to Lonnie Zamora on that show. So yes, <laughs> you're right. Yep. And now we have Project Blue Book, which none of us ever saw coming and never thought we'd see the day when, you know, not only was Project Blue Book going to be covered in, like, TV serial format, but to see J. Allen Hynek, who's now, like, this super cool hero on television. It's just, that's enough for me, man. Yeah, and he kind of is a little bit of an action hero, you know, just slightly. Not too much, but I mean, like, in the first episode, the man survives a plane crash. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, that, that was a little much for me. But yeah, again, yeah. like, this is where the show is taking liberties. And what I really like is they're being very respectful to the cases after the episodes Yeah, are, in terms yeah. of, like, having... People like Richard Dolan or Jacques Vallée come on and tell the actual case that it's based on. So I think that was responsible of them. And I look forward to those every week. And then you get to compare and contrast what you saw in the show and the sort of fictional arc they're creating and what actually happened. I I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And and I mean, it's kind of a way to bring a whole new audience to these UFO cases, you know, sell some more books, damn it. You know, why the hell not? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, Rob, this has been amazing, my man. I always love having you come on for these because I know we don't really have to uh, plan months in advance for what we're going to talk about. I know you're always good for this and uh, tipping back a drink. So what can we expect next from you over at the Our Strange Skies podcast? So right now, uh, we've basically got two episodes in the works. Uh, one of them, uh, because uh, I, I just randomly tweeted out one day, I was like, uh, you know, this is all the weird stuff that has happened to me in my life. All these weird experiences. And people are like, are you going to do an episode about that? Uh, are you yeah. going to do an episode about that? They're like, yeah. You, you had to have expected that, man. Come well, on. I, d- I really didn't. <laughs> expect it to get as much attention as it did but i'm like all right sure so <laughs> we've got a episode about my my personal uh, stories and um i i initially started a uh, series about the gulf breeze incidents uh with uh, my friends uh, sam and jason of the not alone podcast and uh uh, it's been a, it's been a while. We need to we need to go back and finish it. So uh, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna finish Ed Walters' crazy story and his crazy encounters with these aliens and all just the weird stuff that was happening in Gulf Breeze. And then uh, after that, we're gonna be uh, taking the year off, the mm-hmm. rest of the year off, and uh, we're gonna get our bearings back. And you know this. 
there's changes that are going to be coming. We're going to be telling more stories. We're going to be exploring it in a different format and, and trying different things. So, you know, I'm optimistic for what our strange skies is going to be in the future. So, um, really look for us in 2020. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be bringing it. We will eagerly be awaiting that, my man. I can't wait to see what you guys come up with over there. So where can we find the Our Strange Skies podcast? Uh, if you want to listen to the Our Strange Skies podcast, we are available on every single podcast platform. Just search for Our Strange Skies. And if you want to connect with me, uh, I've got a Twitter account. We, we've got a Facebook group. We've got an Instagram account. Search for Our Strange Skies. Uh, our email, ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, send us, contact us. We, we, we will talk always. And we will talk again, my friend, and do these much more often because these are my favorite episodes of the show. So once again, I have to thank you for pulling up a bar stool next to me for UFO Happy Hour Volume 2, and I cannot wait for the next one, my friend. You too, man. Thanks again for having me on. Extraterrestrial. That, that extraterrestrial. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.